Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Empire Rolls podcast supported by Blue Collar Street Food. Well, that is the optimism done with this podcast because we just got absolutely Pumped, trounced, outclassed, outworked, whatever you want to say, by Brentford in a 3-0 defeat. To help me talk through this kind of Groundhog Day appearance from Reading FC, I've been joined by Alex Everson. Hi, Alex. Hello, Paul. (laughs) I can't sound much more enthusiastic, I'm sorry. (laughs) That didn't sound forced at all. I've also been joined by Sam Stevenson. Hi, Sam. Hello. Yeah, Hello. Uh, acknowledging us with that didn't work on the podcast, did it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of like running FC levels of shambolicness there, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> a saluting us on an audio, Sam. Like, that is a new one. <laughs> so, where do we start with this absolutely terrible performance by Reading FC? Put into the context that Brentford are a very good team. They're 20 points ahead of us. They're going for automatic promotion. That shouldn't be forgotten. They're way better than us. As much as that pains Reading fans to hear that little old Brentford, you know, nothing. Yeah, they're not going to do anything. They're this little friendly little club just down the road where they totally learned from our model that was under Nicky Hammond many years ago, Badeski and all those people. And now they're doing their bit. Admittedly, they're moving into a Lego stadium, but let's talk about the fact that the game tonight was just horrible to watch, wasn't it, Sam? Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was way worse than I expected. Um, I think most people predicted, you know, at best a narrow loss and at worst a pumping tonight. But I don't think any... Well, maybe people did expect us to concede kind of clown goals again. Um, but yeah, I think it's less the result and more the manner of the defeat that will, will upset most Reading fans. Um, it, was, it was really poor all round. Yeah, it's because it's what we've seen before, isn't it, Alex? Just yeah. really poor goals. It's, yeah, every, every goal you look at again and you're like, well, this person's not doing their job here and that person's not doing their job there and there's a mistake there. And every single goal we conceded, again, you can pick up in various various mistakes and various errors by different players and it's it's been the same same story for I don't know two and a half three years now it, it's fairly predictable um, it's, and, that, and that's why so many people came out before the game and said yeah we're not gonna we don't have a hope against Brentford yeah and it was clearly proven to be the case that was true because we were 
outclassed in everywhere, which I've said already, but I don't know, the first goal. Now, if you go back and watch the Stoke City match, you'll see that goal again. Um, two free headers in our penalty area, when we've got all our players back, which Mick's Gooding did mention, definitely throughout the commentary. <laughs> How do we manage that, Sam? How do we not learn from previous matches and make the same mistake over and over again? So, I don't want to cut the players any slack at all because they've been terrible tonight. But there is one thing that people kept referring to over and over again during the, the break, which was, you know, some teams are going to come back mentally prepared to play in, in an empty stadium and some won't. Um, I do wonder whether, despite the fact we've made mistakes like this throughout the season, I feel like these, are, these feel like they're significantly more glaring than the majority of the mistakes we've made this season with fans in the stadium. Um, so, I mean, part of it might be, well, part of it probably is mental, um, but it's still inexcusable really, right? They're, they're mistakes that you'd like to think we talk about after games. You know, if, if you are, um, if you are Bowen, you're saying, don't let, you know, you, you, you haven't tracked your man or you've let them have a, a, a bit of space in the box they shouldn't have had, or you haven't followed something up. Um, make sure you're doing the basics and, and we're consistently, consistently making these mistakes so I don't know I don't know whether you blame the manager whether you blame the tactics whether you I mean you have to blame the players that are kind of at fault but you know do you blame something like zonal marking today when you see that I know you were talking about the first goal being an unmarked man but obviously the second uh, the third no the second goal sorry as well where one of their players runs through and and um puts a, a spilled effort into the goal and Moore and Morrison both kind of look at each other before Moore makes a late attempt at running after the man to try and stop that inevitable goal. Like, they're clear errors, um, but the fact that we're making the same mistakes over and over again at the moment, is it something like zonal marking? Is it a lack of awareness as to who should be picking these players up? Um, so I think it's probably a bit of everything, right? The play, like Someone like Moore should just know, like, go to the ball player, deal with, deal with, the, um, deal with the biggest threat. But ultimately, like when you look across the board, the mistakes we're making at the back, I think it's probably more than just the individual players switching off. It's a bit of everything, really. And I think, there, like I said, mental issues too as a result of playing in an empty stadium probably play a part. But it's still abysmal. And as a fan... It is, yeah. Also being on 49 points as well. It's kind of almost over the line. Yeah. We're almost safe. But we're not, are we, mathematically at all yet. We're getting very close to it. Um, if one of Huddersfield or is it Stoke lose tomorrow? I think it would be, it's very close. And also yeah, yeah. if by some miracle we manage to conjure up a win against Luton Town, which I know if you're listening to this, you're thinking, that I can't see us winning anything right now. But it's not impossible. Luton aren't that great as well. But I don't know, <laughs> tactically, what do you think of Mark Burns since we've come back, Alex? I mean, today felt tactically a little bit just clueless. Uh, the first half, we lined up pretty similar to how we played against Derby with one up front. Um, I know we switched up in the second half. It didn't make any difference. Um, we played four at the back again. It was Realistically, that was the same formation, the same, same style of play as, as we played against Derby on, uh, on Saturday. We're not really creating any chances. I mean, today we didn't have any chances inside the box. Saturday we had one from Pushkats inside the box, I think, and then we had like 
Ajari has got a half chance, make his half chance. Um, and then even against Stoke, I think, I mean, I'm struggling to remember the game particularly, but I can't remember like any huge chances we had against Stoke. We um, had the swift one off the bar and that was it, wasn't it? I think Again, it was that was from, it was from a free kick. I can't remember. We're not creating anything from open play. No. Um, yet we're persisting to play three central midfielders, one who plays on the wing, well, four central midfielders, in fact, because we're playing Rinomoto now, with two of them playing out wide, uh, and then two of them playing in the centre, but two who play out wide don't actually provide any width, and we end up with this kind of like very narrow formation, which is all played in between the, the kind of the penalty line, the penalty area lines, and essentially you just end up with a very compact game, and we don't manage to create any chances from that, which inevitably is um, then looks bad or whoever's playing up front. Bulldog today had nothing. It, like I, It's very difficult to blame Sam Bulldog for having a bad game today because I don't think he touched the ball, frankly. Um, so it's, yeah, today felt pretty much like Bowen had looked at the team on Saturday and, and said, yeah, we'll play the same team again. I'm not even sure it would have made it. We could have played... Luton today, and I'm fairly certain we would have played exactly the same way. Um, yeah, there's very little kind of like prep and consideration has gone into who we're actually playing against, and he's just gone out and picked kind of a set strategy and a set formation that we're going to play no matter who we were playing against. Which um, it, it feels kind of very clumsy and a little unprepared, really. Yeah, we can't be playing Elise, Swift, and Najari in the same team. We've got to have someone in there with Rinomoto that helps him as well. And I think you've got to bring back Pele and give us a little bit more solidity in that midfield, Sam. What, what do you think on that idea? I know that Bowen has said after the match that he's definitely considering starting with a 4-4-2 on Saturday against Luton. Who would you have in that midfield? And I would say wingers, but as we've discussed before we start recording, we haven't actually got wingers, have we? <laughs> Okay, I'm going to deal with this in two parts. So the first part is um, I would like to see Pele or Pella, however you pronounce his name. Um, Pele, we'll go with that, sounds better, uh, next to Rinomoto because I, I've always thought of Rinomoto as a similar-ish player to Danny Williams in the sense that I think he does quite a good job of bringing the ball forwards and actually making positive runs. And even today in a terrible game, there were two or three times I clearly remember him taking the ball away from his man in midfield and actually bringing it forward and then playing someone else in who then inevitably did something stupid or misplayed it or whatever. So I think to give Rinomoto the best opportunity to actually play his natural game, you need to have a holding player next to him whose job is, a, is basically to hold up play and give the ball to Rinomoto to allow him to then run into the space and bring the ball forward. Um, secondly, in regard to asking me who I'd play and what formation I'd play and all that stuff at the weekend, um, I said it earlier on, but I think I'd probably prefer to play five at the back, but use the wing backs to give us that width because we're playing a team that I think if you're playing one up front, you ideally want one of two things to be happening, but one of them would clearly be you want wingers who can cross the ball. And at the moment we don't really have natural wingers at all. So at least if you have fullbacks who are given a bit more freedom to get up and down, you know, and actually act as wingers, we'd have, even if it's Gunter and you know his crossing isn't great, you still have someone that can consistently hit the line and get the ball into the box. But at the moment, you know, like today, we had um, McCleary on the bench. We had Masika, I think, on the bench as well. And it's like, 
what are we doing with these players? We've just signed them up to extended contracts and we've got natural wingers on the bench. And even if they're not as good as the players that we've got on the pitch, surely it's better to play wingers than it is to play players out of position and expect them to do something. And, and they're just not. Like, I don't know what you guys think, but to me, like, that's almost unforgivable. You're playing a, a system that kind of dictates the need for wingers and then you're leaving your natural wingers on the bench. No, I agree. Okay. I do understand. I do understand it to an extent uh, for Bowen because he's selecting Swift and Najaria and even Elise now to an extent. He's selecting these players because if he doesn't play Swift or Najaria or now Elise as well, he's going to get stick for not picking them. But frankly, at the minute, I feel like the stick is probably you kind of just need to take it and accept it because. Um, playing Swift, Ajaro, and Elise all in this team together in the midfield, you're not. We're not winning the ball enough. We're not holding the ball well enough uh, to justify having all three of them in the team. So why not? Why not take one of them out and put an actual winger on, as you say, and, and try and actually provide some width if he's going to persist with this formation. I want to. I want to kind of counter something you said earlier on a little bit. I mean, yeah, he might get stick in the media, but surely now is the lowest pressure kind of the least pressure he's going to have when he's making yeah. mistakes. There's no, no I'd agree. He's not yeah, going to should. break the players in the stadium. He's only got to deal with the aftermath of a decision. So this is arguably the best time to experiment a little bit because the players don't have to deal with the pressure of the fans at all. So if he experiments, all he's going to have to deal with and all the players are going to have to deal with is a bit of stick on Twitter, which you can arguably ignore, and the press reaction. And that's kind of it. They, yeah, they I... I'd agree with you, Sam. I think he's he, if he's not experimenting at this point, then when is he going to? Like, it's you should be uh, you should be pushing yourself to to try different systems. This this should, these last well, how many games did we have after the break? Nine was it? I think or eight. These last eight or nine games should be seen as a, a extended preseason for next season. Um, yeah. And we shouldn't be using like if we we're not going to make the if we're not going to make the playoffs after that goal against Stoke. Fine. Um, start to start to try different systems. Try different players. No one needs to see another nine games of John Swift to know what he can do. We all know what he can do. Uh, why not try Masika? You've got him on loan for until the end of the season. Yet he sits on the bench or he gets three minutes at the end of a game. What's he going to do in that three minutes? Um, it, it feels like yeah, this is the kind of perfect time for Bowen to be experimenting with his team and experimenting a few different systems and, and actually trying to work out what the strengths of the squad he's got are as opposed to trying to fit a squad around a um, as opposed to fitting a squad around a team which doesn't you know doesn't really fit the strengths he wants to meet yeah it's a real row and we've mentioned so many times as Jao goes out of the team we just have a random system there's no kind of like backup system or thoughts on it. I mean, I'm sure there is thought, but we can't find one. And I can't find a solution. Um, we've, we've tried one up front. We had some uh, kind of two up front. We could play three up front, but the midfield is just, it's just not working at all. Defensively, it's a big problem. The goalkeeper, he did make a mistake for the second goal. That is undeniable. Uh, defenders should be okay, kind of like predicting that. But instead, they're just waiting. I want to find positives from tonight. And I'm going to say the positives like we've discussed. 
with Rinomoto. I thought he did. I think he was clearly our man of the match. Definitely when wasn't a hard one to win. Um, probably Elise in the first half. I thought he did quite well. Was he amazing? No, probably not. But he did better than most of the players on the pitch. I don't know what we can kind of create for the Luton match. We need to create some kind of energy within the squad and belief because if we win that match, we're probably safe. Not mathematically, but we're moving very, very close towards it. Sam, what are we going to do for that match building up to it? If you're Mark Bowen, you've got to say to them, and now we got those five lone players signed up, including Matt Miazga who's going to miss another two games, which make no sense. Who do you play? Let's just say he's going to play a 4-4-2, like he said. Who do we put into that team in those positions? Who would you play alongside? Who do you play in the back four? Let's start with that. Um, well, if we're playing the back four, I think, like, I'd, I'd be inclined to stick McIntyre in, maybe for Morrison, given that Morrison's a lot older. As much as I think Moore has been abysmal this since the restart, he is captain. Um, McIntyre is a young talent that's coming through. And, you know, we're losing games at the moment anyway, so give some of the younger kind of, you know, potentially solid players for the future a bit of a run. Um, and then I think you're kind of, at right back, you're stuck with Gunter. Um, at left back, like, it, for me, it doesn't actually really matter that much whether you play Abita or Richards. I think they've both got their own qualities. I think Abita's a better crosser of the ball um, and definitely better from set pieces. Um, which is probably better at bringing the ball forwards um, and beating his man and a little bit more tricky. Um, but I think, you know, you, there are benefits from playing either of those two. Um, but for me in midfield, like, I'd be inclined to drop the creative players we're playing at the moment. And I'd just try to play Pelé and Rinomoto in centre mid. If you're going to play 4-4-2, that's what I'd do. I mean, you think back to that Birmingham game um, all the way back in March. Um, and Pelé was almost unplayable like he scored a, I think he scored the third goal and yeah. his breakup play was really really good um he got back and helped defensively I understand that he came back from this break fairly his fitness wasn't there but if he's fit now and ready to go I'd get him straight in the team because the last time we played well even if it was three four months ago now was that game against Birmingham and he was probably the best if not one of the best players on the pitch and People after that game were saying, wow, Pushkas was good, wasn't he? And I think Pushkas was good because the midfield allowed Pushkas to be a better player. Yeah, he still had to drop deep and bring other players in, but he looked like a better player with a solid midfield behind him. Um, and I yeah, no, that's definitely going to be the case. If you've got strikers up front, as we saw tonight with Sam Baldock, I mean, we could have had anyone there. They would have struggled tonight, unless you got like a world-class player, which we sadly don't have. It would be... A real tough one to decide who to play up front. I mean, it's obvious to just say Puskas and Bulldog, but that's it, isn't it? Who we've got no options, but are they? Will they work? Is it the way we want to go forward, or we put in the curveball there, Alex? What do you do? Um, I mean, if you're going to go four four two, I'd probably pick a similar kind of team for Sam, except I'd probably play Morrison and McIntyre at the back. Um, I mean. Moore, I don't think, has had a particularly good season, as people are kind of well aware. Uh, he, I mean, he's had a, a little bit of a, a he had a, a small amount of uh, credit from the Stoke game when he did play well. Um, 
he seems to have just had an interview on the radio which people have not reacted particularly well to as well uh, when he's come out and said that we weren't good enough and uh, frankly I'm kind of done with Liam Moore at the minute it's uh, not the first time not the second time it's probably like the eighth ninth time we've heard it and kind of just fed up of listening to it now from Liam Moore um, so I'd like to see McIntyre and Morrison at the back probably um, Gunter on the right uh, Richard and as Sam said Richards or Abita on the left I'm not really sure it makes too much of a difference and then in midfield I'd probably yeah I, I think I'd drop all three of the creative players um, and just go for something completely different so line up with Masika on the right hand side and then I don't know who's playing on the left hand side but there's got to be somebody available I don't know who though but we don't have yeah I mean I'd still That's the point has been for six nine ten months now Thanks to our summer, we don't have any wingers. This squad is incredibly unbalanced. Oh, it's incredibly unbalanced. Exactly what you're saying. No wingers, um, no backup striker if Jao gets injured in any way or form. The midfield, it doesn't really make any sense. The only position where we're actually okay, I would say, is left back. And centre half, that's it. All the others is kind of, it's a mishmash, isn't it? Because we've got Gunter going in the summer as well. Yadam... He's been in and out injured. It's a real issue. Goalkeeper, if Raphael, as bad as he might have been in the last few games, I think he was not so bad on Saturday, but tonight he hasn't played his best game. Who comes in for Raphael if he gets injured? I mean, no one that we know really. I mean, Southwood would probably come in, but that would be a big pressure for him. It's a, It concerns me with the whole structure of how we make the transfers and how we're going to do in the summer, because I haven't got any faith in us for getting it right. Have, have you, Sam? No. Um, I mean, given what's happened in the last day or two with, you know, a load of signing up a load of players who physically can't play between now and the end of the season um, and the lack of a clear strategy for the last few seasons, um, I don't know. Like the last time I remember us actually having a clear strategy, even though it didn't work as well as it should have, was that first season under Stan where we were going after young players who had a potential for the future and a few experienced players mixed in, like Beerens, who's done it, you know, in Europe. Um, but other than that, it's just felt like the, the, the kind of seasons that have followed have just been who's available. Well, Luco, like, and then get a couple of other frees in. Um, and then even, even the last couple of summers, like, we got lucky, I think, that season under Gomez. I, I doubt Gomez was the one who went out and said, let's go and sign Baker and... Um, Ijaria and all of these players on loan. I think they would just be. Yeah. <laughs> just mention his name there. Just a random, <laughs> just a random drain drop there. No relevance, of course. No relevance. <laughs> it's just, it just feels like, you know, in the summer it'll be the same again, right? It'll be because like Aruna came in and it's like, yeah, maybe he is one for the future, but he isn't someone that I would have signed in January knowing that we actually really need players to help us get through to the end of the season and possibly have a positive finish. Um, but we're just doing, we're just making these really weird outlier um, signings that every summer I'm surprised by at least one or two of the signings we bring. Pushkas was another one. But on paper, he was a great signing. But like we'd signed Baldock the year before that. And Zhao literally the day before that. Zhao literally the day before that. And it's like, okay, now you've got a problem where you've got all these strikers on the books. It's who do you play? Um, and so 
it's just been and like and that 10 million or i know it probably wasn't that high but even it was above five million right that could have gone on a winger that could have gone on a position that we actually needed to fill um and granted like push gas could still come good could still be a great player i still think he'll yes so zoom just kicked us right out there of our uh, podcast while sam was uh, making an absolutely outstanding point you just missed the whole amazing 30 seconds there. It was brilliant. But just revisit that again, Sam, and tell us. Uh, and make it punchy, amazing, and really insightful. Yeah? Okay, I reckon I can do this in four words. <laughs> Signings have been poor. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is it. Um, ultimately, I think what, I was, what I've been saying is that for the last few years, the, the, the signs we've been making haven't made sense. We've signed on paper good players but we haven't filled the positions we really need to fill. Um, and that, that is why going into the summer, I think we'll continue with that policy of like seeing who's available. I was talking about players like Araruna coming over in January when really you should be focusing on getting to the, that seems like a summer signing to me. Um, totally forgotten so, all about him. Totally yeah, forgotten. Well, he was thrown in for a couple of games and they realised he wasn't ready and they were like, right, you're dumped now, mate. Um, <laughs> so ultimately... Yeah, it's got to be a case of like really having a look at what we need over the summer, especially given we're going to see a few of the mainstays in this team leaving, Um, not just necessarily players being sold, but also we've talked about the fact that there are a load of players who have signed on until the end of the season and at the end of the season they're leaving. So players like McCleary are gone, Gunter's gone, like they're not hanging around anymore. Um, We've lost... um, uh, what's his name up front? Why can't I remember his name? Why? Danny Loder. Danny Loder, yeah. Sorry, it's been a long day. Um, uh, a long season as well. Um, but yeah, so they're players that we are, even though we've got a bloated squad, we are going to have to think about replacing some of them, um, but also filling positions that we struggle with, like the wings. So, But I don't think we will. I think we'll probably just do what we've done every summer and we'll sign a load of exciting players in positions that we've already got covered and... They might get a look in, but we'll just have a bloated squad going forward. So, yeah, let's see what happens. Yeah, you're looking for another, um, looking forward to another haphazard transfer summer, isn't it? Really, on the incoming. So, Alex, who would you sell out of our first team players who are kind of mainstays? This is an exciting question, Paul, uh, <laughs> and I don't know if the Zoom podcast is going to last long enough for me to give you the whole list. Um, so, of the, main boy, stage, yeah. of the mainstays, I would definitely be getting rid of Liam Moore. I think he's, I know he's the club captain, but not sure he's actually that good of a defender. He's okay, he's fine, but you know, for the money that we could sell him for, I'm fairly certain we could replace him for someone of comparable quality. Uh, would probably sell, would probably try and get rid of John Swift. Um, I think he's a good player, stats back up that he's a decent player. Um, But frankly, if he's playing at the top of his kind of ability that we've seen for Reading this season, sell him while we we can at, at the top of his peak. We aren't a team which is going to be chasing down promotion next season anyway. Like, take the best money that you can get for him now and invest it into players who are going to improve the whole side, not keep John Swift um, for one more year. Um, outside that, 
there's a couple of others who are kind of, I guess, not necessarily mainstays, but I would look to try and move on if the fee's right. Mate is definitely one of them. I don't really think he's got the quality necessarily. I think he's probably a fine squad player. Um, the fact that he's still in the first 11 every week is a testament how poor this squad is, I think. I don't really think he's that good. Um, Pushkas is the, probably the most interesting name on the list, I think, um, from the first team squad. I think if Bowen's going to be here next season, which, let's be honest, I think that even that is kind of a, a question which is going to be up in the air after after the end of this season. Um, if results carry on going as they are and performances don't really improve. If he is here, then is Pushkas here is a real question, I think. Um, don't know if he's really suited to playing under Bowen's style of football. Not sure Bowen really wants him here by the looks of it. He doesn't seem to trust him to play in a two-man two man strike force and play to his strengths. Um, so is the, is it kind of the ideal time is just to basically cash on cash in what we can on Pushkas, take the fact that we're going to, you know, lose a million or two million pounds on him and sell him to a European side where he's probably going to be much more much more comfortable and um, probably thrive in reality. Um, so I'd say those four are probably the kind of like mainstays. Um, outside that, there's obviously a bunch of players as well who are, we're going to be wanting to move on. We'll just have to see what happens with them, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think there's going to be a bunch of players who leave this summer. Uh, but in reality, are we going to get decent money for them? No one was really sure. Um, and it's just going to be a case of like, yeah, seeing as Sam said, with the recruitment policies, it is, it's probably going to end up being a haphazard replacement system. Um, I'm not sure we'll see like the replacements that we necessarily need and we'll end up potentially signing kind of journeymen or these exciting young signings who don't necessarily offer us what we need. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think the players, three players that we'd definitely be trying to get rid of, I'm kind of assuming because of value, wages, and a combination of factors would be Puskas, Swift, Moore. I think all those three players would be definitely open to offers on... Do you think that's a... Do you think that's kind of like a fair list there, Sam? Or would you add anyone else in your top three above one of those players? Uh, no, I think I think that's probably fair. Like Mate, I know Alex mentioned, like he's a funny player, right? Because he scores a lot of goals in a very poor team. So I think whilst he should be a squad player, um, he's definitely a player that when he's been played up front and had a bit of a run, he's been top scorer for a, for a couple of seasons now, right? So I think he's worth keeping around, but only if he's on a a not insane wage packet. Um, Swift's always reminded me a lot of like a Norwood type player who is probably way better than the players around him and he goes somewhere else and possibly even go to a Premier League team and probably do okay in a team that actually has, you know, players running off of him and players that are intelligent around him because he seems like he plays the right balls. He's got good awareness. He's actually got better this season at least at keeping the ball and, and, um, and finding... He's constantly linked with Leeds United, isn't he? constantly yeah, yeah, exactly. and you could see him playing in that team but yeah, he'd have to up his energy level you would but he would fit their system so yeah, totally. you know if they yeah. and when they go up I think he'd be a good signing for them um so Swift and the thing is the bottom line is if we got in this current market like 10 to 15 million for those three players 
and then some of it goes back into the club and a little bit of it goes on you know it's funny because I'd actually I'd actually be quite excited about a few underwhelming signings like going to league one and two and saying you know when um, McNulty came in everyone was a bit disappointed in that and he didn't really get a proper run in the team and obviously when he did it didn't look great I never felt like the system suited him to be honest but players like that that's it feels a bit more like when we went and picked up Lafondra and um, and yeah, other other like players from the lower leagues that kind of made the step up and actually did a solid job. Um, and and for me, like I'd be I'd be quite happy going and doing that again. We won't, um, like Alex said, and like I said earlier, like we're definitely going to go and sign some random player from like I don't know Roma or Milan or something like that, or someone from South America. But um, realistically, what we actually need is is a bit more stability and some players that understand the league and football. That's the other thing, right? All the players we bring in, not all of them, but most of them, we get into that conversation. Pele, we did it with Pele when he first came in. We've done it with Pushkas. You know, we're saying, oh, they need to get up to speed in, in the championship. It's a different kind of league. It's more physical. And it's like, okay, if that's going to be the argument every single time we bring a player in, why don't we just look for players that play in League One and Two? who would undoubtedly be significantly cheaper than the players that we're actually going out and signing. And they know the physicality of the lower leagues in England. They understand it. Like they're more likely to be able to come into that squad and jump straight in. They might not be quite, have quite as much flair as like an Ajaria. Um, but like, let's be honest, like Ajaria has been great this season and, and last season when he came in. But how many goals and assists has he actually been involved in? Like, he has been useful. He's been great at getting past his man and whacking a ball into the box. But, you know, having that flair doesn't necessarily result in goals when your team isn't set up for that kind of player. So we need, we need, we need to change the, the, yeah, what we're doing. And, and if we're going to get rid of players like Swift and stuff like that, I'm fine with it because I feel like, again, like I said earlier, Swift is a player who is possibly going to create goals in this team and score a few a season but when you're a team that's mid-table it's not going to send us down if we lose him and it's not going to take us up if we keep him so we might as well cash in and try and get the six seven eight million that we could get for him and, and then just move on yeah no totally I think it's uh I think it's time we had a big change and got rid of some of the kind of like more senior players who've been here for three or four years as much for our sake financially for us as well you look at the financial results in the last uh, season and last year and you also look at the COVID situation. Uh, who knows what the owner is thinking about it. But I think they also need to move on. They need a change as well. and might invig reinvigorate their whole careers and just find something that fits them better. It's just been the same for the last three seasons here. And realistically, do us as fans, I know we're not physically going to matches at the moment, but do we want to see the same team again? I'd rather risk it with... Maybe one or two young players in there, not whole five or six, because that's just going to be disastrous. But a player like Elise, another player from the academy, a Tom McIntyre, but someone else who we haven't really seen or known, throw them in, then get some established players in from the championship, not championship, from League One. It's just, we haven't, we're not going to do that. And it's so frustrating. But that is the end of the podcast this week because... It's not been an upbeat one, has it? It has not been an upbeat one at all. But hopefully we will be after the match and we'll all be celebrating like we won the FA Cup final because we'll probably be staying up if we win that. But as I speak, Luton are actually being leads. So that's not going to be easy, is it? So thanks a lot for listening. Cheers.